Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Clippers curse shall live on another season or at the very least put them on the brink of elimination against the Dallas Mavericks because game five at home the Clippers fell to Luka Magic 40 points in three quarters they held the Dallas Mavericks I'm sorry they yeah they held the Dallas Mavericks to 16 points in the fourth quarter and it was still not enough because Kawhi Leonard did this in a 103-100 game, down three, eight seconds to go, and we captured this sound courtesy of our Instagram live and YouTube live streams of me calling the final play of the Clippers-Mavericks game. Inbound to Kawhi. Kawhi in the corner. Air ball. Foul. But who did they call the foul on? They called it on Reggie Jackson. Oh, Kawhi. Oh. So, to each their own, Los Angeles Clippers fans, now down 3-2 against the Dallas Mavericks team that you probably should have been eliminated by had Luka Doncic not injured his back. And his shoulder and his, well, sorry, his neck, back, and shoulder all are affiliated by the same nerve issue. But with that being said, Clippers fans and Clippers Nation, you guys get this treatment on the Take It Easy podcast every single time that y'all keep messing up and long live the Clipper curse so that I can keep playing this epic Lob City anthem every single time the Clippers choke in the playoffs. Got my other chick, gang with my other chick. Same course, I 
Jack Nicholson. Throwback jersey, I ain't selling it. Bro, I'm fresh in it, I'm fresh in it. Peppermint, red letter man, Lob City killing it. Young, young money, young money, yeah, we getting rich. Got your grandma at the game. Yeah, girl, you know what it is. Lob City clips, live, live city clips. Lob City clips, live, live city clips. Lob City clips, live, live city clips. CP332, Blake Griff. Lob City clips, live, live city Yes, Clippers fans, every time y'all choke away a game or disappoint in the playoffs or reignite the Clipper curse once again, we get to play that absolute banger of a song, the Lob City Clips anthem from Tyga and DJ Mustard, because it's a great song. It's just a great, great song, and I love listening to it every single time the Clippers blow a big lead. It's such a good song, but the Clippers... Didn't blow a big lead this time. All they did was put themselves in a position going back to Dallas to be eliminated by 22-year-old Luka Doncic and prepare for the reality we talked about last week that was a very real situation, which is Dallas Mavericks can bounce the Los Angeles Clippers. And the Clippers can now look at their blueprint and say, hey, after Paul George and Kawhi, this team is not very good. And by the way, Paul George was like a plus 17 on the floor tonight. And when he was off the floor, he was like minus 20 or the Clippers were minus 23. And he only sat like eight minutes. So Paul George was the MVP of that team last night. And it was not a great situation for the Clippers to go through. The first round exit is going to be like double embarrassment where devastating losses lead to devastating results. And I don't know if that means Kawhi Beach becomes a reality, which, you know, Heat fans are starting to piss some people off by saying Kawhi Beach so much. I don't know if that becomes a reality or if Kawhi is in it for the endorsements and living in San Diego and the lifestyle thing, but it's a real situation where devastating results have devastating consequences. We saw it with the Boston Celtics. They fired Danny, well, Danny Ainge left and Brad Stevens took over the head, the front office and now they're looking for a head coach and they'll probably reshake the roster too with a Harrison Barnes or re-signing an Evan Fournier and getting him a full season with the team and try and trade Kemba Walker. They're going to try and retool the blueprint and devastating losses have devastating results and the Clippers are now one game away from that situation when it looked like Luka Doncic was going to be stripped of a chance to go on a deep playoff run, which we now know they'll play the Jazz in the next round. Not that like it was totally in doubt, but Memphis, although I did say Memphis would go up 2-1 before shitting the bed, Memphis took care of the shitting the bed part. Just four games of absolute shit from the Memphis Grizzlies after beating Utah in game one. But Luka can beat the Utah Jazz. If he can beat the Clippers, he can beat the Jazz. And so looking around at the rest of the, t- the league, I'm like, I thought Luka's injury for the past week after declaring like Luka can be the next Shaq, KD, LeBron, Tim Duncan. And the reason I chose those specifically is because those are the four players in the modern NBA, like post-1990, that made an NBA Finals run at 22 and 23 years old and universally regarded as four of the most talented players of the last 30 years. And so Luka Doncic can be that guy at 22 right now. And then the injury happened. And for a week I was like, that is so frustrating that Luka is going to get sapped of that opportunity. And then he came back tonight, went six of eight from three point range 
and had 40 points in three quarters. He only had 42 to end the game, but I'm going to say 40 in three quarters because those three quarters of Luka Doncic magic to give Dallas, a, what was it, a 13-point lead before the Clippers just wiped all of that off the board in the fourth quarter. Really, in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter, they went on a 9-0 run in like what was it 70 80 seconds and got it to a one point game and then they got a steal and Terrence Mann threw the wrong play and Batum got the ball all of a sudden I didn't even know why Batum was on the floor which tells you that really outside of Paul George and Kawhi like we talked about a couple weeks ago the roster is pretty barren of talent hence the fact Nick Batum was like getting tip-ins to try and save the game for the Clippers but after all that, like the fact that they dissipated the lead, that Paul George played as amazing as he did, that Kawhi Leonard had an abysmal game. Like he finished with with 20 points and the huge and one to help keep the game alive. But Kawhi Leonard was abysmal at the end of that game and it's really going to hurt the Clippers going forward. So epic game five. It was a wickedly fun game and Yeah, enjoy your anthem, Clippers fans or Clippers supporters or anyone who just loves good anthems and theme songs because we love good anthems and theme songs here. I'm still waiting for a chance to play that Rob Stone Padres theme song again whenever we get the chance, but we love a good theme song here on the podcast. And too bad for the Knicks being terrible come playoff time because I wanted to do all the Knicks tape stuff right at the end. And uh, we never got to play the Knicks tape or the anthem song for the New York Knicks, so... Sorry, Knicks fans. Uh, Warrior South is here, and you can't see it because this is a podcast, but I am flexing double muscles on Warriors South right now because Warriors South has arrived, ladies and gentlemen, and Warriors South is here winning a playoff series. This is already a victory for them. They're going to get bounced by the Sixers in the next round, but while also assuming Joel Embiid comes back, that changes the math a bit. By the way, Ben Simmons played center yesterday for the 76ers, which... You know, thinking back, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. You're not going to put Danny Green at center. Like Ben Simmons starting at center is technically, he's technically their big without Joel Embiid. They weren't going to start Dwight Howard because Dwight Howard doesn't give you enough offense. So it was fascinating, but just something that I hadn't considered that I found fascinating. Ben Simmons starting at center. That might have to happen again against the Hawks because the Hawks got that bad man Capella who can go up and catch those oops from Trey Young and pull down 15 rebounds a game. Like he's he's DeAndre Ayton, but he's also DeAndre. He's like a less skilled DeAndre Ayton at this point. So Capella, he's going to be trouble for the 76ers if Joel Embiid ain't there because at least Joel Embiid can neutralize the the threat of Trey Young and Clint Capella or yeah of Clint Capella. And Ben Simmons at center, great defensive player. Like they, it's just it, then tra- they prefer him on Trey Young instead of him on Clint Capella. And putting Dwight Howard and Danny Green on Clint Capella may not be the best strategy. But we'll have more time to talk Sixers and Hawks over the next two weeks. What I want to talk about now is uh, some big breaking news that came in yesterday that uh, I've been. Uh, pondering and sitting on for about 16 hours now want to matriculate our b block out here but first to transition let us hit you with that magical music from taiga and dj mustard lob city clips because clippers you're screwed
So the original plan for the B Block today was to create a podcast and a fun story around the Cleveland Browns, but we'll stick that one in our back pocket for a little bit because there is a pressing breaking news story of the day that we can talk about, and that is, of course, Coach K is retiring from college basketball. And we've talked before back on the radio show, actually a lot on the radio show, and when March Madness was going on, that it feels like the metaphoric finish to the Duke dynasty was symbolic of college basketball at large. Like college basketball's flagship program, their blue blood of all blue bloods, the Duke Blue Devils, their fall, and the changing of the guard in college basketball, which we'll get to in a second, was symbolic of the sport. And Coach K's retirement feels just like the sport is aging out into a new era. And college basketball is evolving with the decline of shamaturism and the end of one and done and the methodology of trying to keep kids broke is starting to fall apart. People are fighting for rights in the sport and we're starting to see changes specifically with the one-time transfer rule. And the one-time transfer rule is something that will become a theme of this episode as you keep listening along. But first, Duke specifically. And this honestly, this applies to Lon Kruger at Oklahoma, who just retired. It applies to Roy Williams at North Carolina, who just retired. And it applies to Coach K, all of whom are Hall of Fame coaches. And names that matter in the sport have all exited the sport within the last couple months. And the change of the guard in college basketball has officially gotten underway. That new models have evolved to the top. And the models that used to succeed, whether it be one and done or the Roy Williams sit one and done players slash three year, four year guys that won a championship in 2017 and got to a championship in 2016 and won a championship with Tyler Hansbro and Ty Lawson in 2008 or nine. That model has faded to the background and the one and done model is fading as well. And. This new model has risen to the top with a chance to exploit a market inefficiency. And that market inefficiency in college basketball is the one-time transfer rule. Is that for a decade, and really longer than that, players were not allowed to transfer without having to sit out a year. Unless they were a graduate transfer. Which in and of itself became an edge in the sport. But with one and done, all the best players weren't staying in college long enough to transfer as a senior to a Duke or a North Carolina. There are a few exceptions in there, but overwhelmingly, it didn't turn the tides of college basketball. And now, 
the t- the tides of college basketball can be turned with the one-time transfer rule and college football as well, but one player or two players doesn't make as much of a difference in college football as it does in college basketball. The one-time transfer rule changes the game where you can build through the transfer portal, which is just an excellent name for what we're going to call this, the transfer portal. You can build a championship team every year with different players and build up guys through a different form of recruiting that not everyone is tapped into. You can get elite players potentially who have fallen into bad situations at the schools they committed to in a pool that is very selective because not everyone is recruiting out of the transfer portal. Duke doesn't bring in a lot of transfers. Kentucky doesn't bring in a lot of transfers. Michigan State doesn't bring in a lot of transfers. North Carolina doesn't bring in transfers. It's a model for the secondary teams to exploit a market inefficiency. And the people who have exploited the market inefficiency the best are teams like Baylor, who just won the national championship, and Chris Beard at Texas Tech, and Kelvin Sampson at Houston. These are places that have exploited this well, and it has paid huge dividends for them. The best example I provide is Baylor. Let's talk about the national champions from last season. Baylor's roster was five deep. They had five stud players on the team, and three of whom transferred to Baylor from another school. First team all NCAA, Jared Butler, transferred from... I forgot what school it was. Like It was one of these smaller schools like UNC Greensboro or something. But Jared Butler was first team all NCAA. And he was a transfer to the uh, to Baylor from, let's see, let me just get the exact team. Uh, I'm sorry. No, not Jared Butler. Not sorry. I, I'm, I apologize for that. Not Jared Butler. We are talking about uh, what's his name? Uh, Maceo, right? Yeah, Maceo Teague. Maceo Teague came from UNC Asheville. He was the fourth best player on the team. He came. From, Jared Butler was the one who was the big recruit from Baylor. So he spent three years at Baylor. He was the big time recruit. So he goes from UNC Asheville, transfers to Baylor, wins a national championship as a senior. Davion Mitchell, second best player on the Baylor team, started his career at Auburn, transferred, ends up at Baylor and wins multi, wins the championship in 2021. Uh, we can go down the line. Well, obviously, I mentioned Jared Butler, and Jared Butler was not. Fourth leading scorer on the team, Adam Flagler. Flagler started out at Presbyterian in the Big South, transferred to Baylor, part of the national championship team off the bench the following season. So this is the trend that Baylor has figured out. Three of their top four players, or three of their top four scorers from last year, were transfer players. And Baylor is exploiting this market inefficiency to the tune of a national championship with three players who made all NCAA rosters, two of which were transfers, and their fourth best player was a transfer. I'm sorry, their their best player was not a transfer. That was their big recruit. But their next three leading scorers all transferred from other schools. Texas Tech, when they won the national, or sorry, when they played in the national championship game, and we were all confused why Texas Tech was playing in the national championship game with Chris Beard. Well, Chris Beard couldn't recruit at the same levels as Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma. And so what did Chris Beard do? Chris Beard went to the transfer portal to build out the rest of his roster. And his one big recruit, to his credit, they got the one big recruit in there to help get them to that point. 
So they got Jarrett Culver, who, oh, by the way, drafted sixth overall in the NBA draft. Jarrett Culver was from Lubbock, Texas. So they got the number six pick in the NBA draft in their backyard. They got a guy literally in their backyard to come play for the school. But their next best player, Matt Mooney, Matt Mooney started out at Air Force, transferred to South Dakota, and then transferred again as a graduate senior to Texas Tech. Tariq Owens, he was a senior on that team, transferred to, or sorry, started out at Tennessee, transferred to St. John's, and as a graduate senior, ended up at Texas Tech. Brandon Francis, he was the, the uh, next leading scorer, starting point guard on the team. He started out at Florida, one time transferred, and won multiple or played multiple seasons at Texas Tech. Kyler Edwards is the next guy on the list. He was a freshman, so he started off at Texas Tech. And then, of course, David Moretti, he was all, he's from Italy, and he ended up at Texas Tech. And the international route is another interesting thing. But three of Texas Tech's four leading score, or sorry, three of Texas Tech's five leading scorers came from the transfer portal to Texas Tech. And oh, by the way, guess where Texas Tech got their next best player, Mac McClung who is one of the better players in college basketball, transferring from Georgetown, who's now staying there, even though Chris Beard, the coach at Texas Tech, just left to be the head coach at the University of Texas. Houston last year, they made it to the Final Four before losing to Baylor. Their star player, his name is Quentin Grimes. I watched him play in high school, and I just wanted to flex that I watched him play in high school at a tournament that he was playing at. He dropped like 41 points in an overtime victory in that game. And he came from the University of Kansas, transferred to Houston on the one-time transfer, didn't sit out a season. And his second season at Houston led them to the Final Four as their leading scorer. Their next best player, Marcus Sasser, he started out at Houston though. So not getting too carried away there. Dijon Giroux, their third best player, Started out at UMass, transferred to Houston, and ended up leading or being the third leading scorer on a Final Four team. Justin Gorham, fourth leading scorer, started off at Townsend, transferred to the University of Houston, played the last two years there, made a Final Four run with the Houston Cougars. Reggie Chaney, sixth leading scorer, two seasons at Arkansas, one time transfer to Houston. He ends up coming off the bench and giving them five points a game. So. Three of their top six scorers, including their star player who helped carry them to the final four, Quentin Grimes, transfer into Houston. People are exploiting the new market inefficiency in college basketball. And the Coach K's and the Roy Williams and the Lon Krugers were being left behind in the sport. And so rather than evolve with the new type of sport, because the one and done model as we know it is essentially dead, they've created the G League option. A lot of guys like Cade Cunningham are going to play at the Oklahoma States, and Evan Mobley went to um, Evan Mobley went to USC, and the number one recruit next year is going to Gonzaga. So a lot of these guys go play with places that their family coaches at, or in the case of the number one recruit, there goes to Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is this unique model altogether, and they've really got a dynasty in college basketball with the way that they've built it out because they got. Lucky that Jalen Suggs was overlooked by Kentucky. And they got a combination of the three models all together came into this one perfect team. They got the international guys 
They got two international guys, one from France, who was their uh, fourth best player in starting point guard last year for Gonzaga. They got a guy from Dallas, Texas, and they got a guy from their backyard who made all NCAA first teams. So they got the Washington kid. They got the international route, which Gonzaga had been dominating for decades. And they got the kid from their backyard. They got the international kid and they got a guy from Dallas, Texas. They recruit the rest of the country because for all of these kids' lifetimes, Gonzaga has been great. They haven't missed the tournament in two decades. And then last year, they lucked their way into getting Jalen Suggs because this one-and-done top-five pick fell through the cracks because Kentucky stopped recruiting him late in the process. And so he ends up at Gonzaga. And they just got the number one recruit in the country for next year as well. He's like a seven-foot freak for the... He's going to Gonzaga. So the one-and-done model as a whole was already struggling to produce champions, and now there's other models. James Wiseman left college and was perfectly fine. He was still the number two pick in the NBA draft. LaMelo Ball went overseas. He was a top pick in the draft. Three of the top five picks in next year's draft, or sorry, two of the five picks in next year's draft just skipped college altogether. Jalen Green just went to the G League model and just skipped college altogether. And Imani Bates might be doing the same thing, even though he committed to Michigan State. And uh, we've talked before about Imani Bates about a year ago. Like that guy is the next great thing of the sport. And he won college player of the year as a junior in high school. So Imani Bates is going to be the number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. 22 or 23. I don't know exactly when Imani Bates is. Uh, I think Imani Bates is in college basketball next year. So first pick in the uh, first pick in the 2022 NBA draft is Imani Bates is like the best prospect in 20 years. Now it looks like. Yeah, 2022 recruiting class. So he's uh, he's a little ways away. Top pick in 2023 draft. Yeah, that's right. He won college player of the year as a sophomore. I forgot about that. So Imani Bates is like unbelievably good. And he might skip out on college altogether. Or the one and done rule might be like changed by that point. But the point overall being is that the one and done model is gone. And we've seen it recently. The Duke missed the tournament this year. Duke hasn't played in the tournament since Zion Williamson was playing at Duke. that's gonna, They're going to go three full calendar years without playing in the tournament. One of those because of COVID. But Duke has gone three full, cal- or is going to go three full calendar years without playing a game in March Madness by the time March rolls around next year. And I had talked before about the symbolism of Duke's program falling apart being the changing guard in college basketball. And Kentucky fell apart. They were terrible last year. And Eric Musselman and Arkansas turned their, they made new success with the one-time transfer rule where their best player came in as a transfer and they ended up being a, a team that made an Elite Eight run. So there's a lot of promise in this new model, in this new hybrid model of recruiting young guys, but also recruiting the transfers because there's this whole unique talent uh, or pool of talent. That's what I was trying to say. There's this new unique pool of talent that is untapped, or at least has been untapped for the last four years. And the pandemic sped everything up to where we don't have one-time transfer rules, or sorry, the one-time transfer rule became universal. And a lot of people call it the AAU model. 
And I think it's it's a good way to kind of portray it, but I don't know if it exactly reflects what it is that we're talking about, but it's still a good idea here. And where this matters for Coach K is that the 74-year-old coach kind of looked around and said, I think it's I think the game has aged past me and he's been very good at evolving. The game passes everyone by. It's why people get fired all the time is because there's sometimes you have to evolve and fall behind the curve. Think about Microsoft right now. In every industry, the markets will dictate things more than anything else. Microsoft was behind in the iPhone game. Microsoft was behind in the computer game. And that being behind kind of put them out of the industry for example, the television game and the tele- the big television companies in the quote unquote streaming wars now are AT&T, Disney, Netflix, Amazon, because they created the infrastructure ahead of time and have the infinite resources to compete in that model. And think about Apple. Apple made the phone that became the industry standard. They changed to becoming a phone company and a computer company. Well, uh, sorry, a laptop company and a tablet company. And then they started making Apple watches and AirPods, all things that supplement those core things that they sell. Apple tried to get in the content game with Apple TV Plus, and it didn't work. It still exists. They've got Ted Lasso, which is incredible. But Apple TV as we know it is not a great model. It's not, con- it's not relevant in that marketplace. So just because you have infinite resources doesn't guarantee success in the marketplace. A lot of it has to do with being a visionary. North Carolina and Duke, well, I'm sorry, Duke, Kentucky, Villanova, these were visionaries at the time when the sport was changing. North Carolina had a model that was way ahead of everyone else, which was we're going to Our advantage against everyone else is we're going to convince one-and-done players to come back two, three, four years. And it was a very successful model for North Carolina. They won a championship with Tyler Hansborough. They made a championship in 2016, ran back almost most of the same team, including a sophomore, Justin Jackson, won the championship in 2017. And now they look around, and they tried to get in the one-and-done game with Nasir Little, and Cole Anthony, and it didn't quite work out as well for them. And they couldn't really replenish their talent pool, and so it leads to a first-round exit this year at the hands of Wisconsin. And so North Carolina, Roy Williams, looked around and said, the game is changing, and I'm not going... This is not the game for me. The idea of having players telling you when they're going to leave and not being able to control the roster that you're going to have year over year, other than just your recruiting, but even recruiting allows for the one-time transfer rule. Roy Williams is not going to placate to people because his strategy is I'm going to sit one-and-done players. I'm going to put the best five out on the floor, period. And I'm going to convince them that, hey, you just need more time to come back. It's a very old-school model, but it still works. And John Beeline did the same thing at Michigan, and then he left for the NBA. And now he's still in the NBA. I think he's now with the Detroit Pistons, if I remember the headline this week. So those models changed right in front of them, and everyone has to adapt and evolve. Like Coach K had this great second run, 
sorry, this third run, because he had, well, fourth run. Wow, that's crazy. Because he had the 86 team, then he had the 91-92 national champions, then he had the champions with Jay Williams and Carlos Boozer and all those guys. And then that championship led to him going to the one-and-done model and winning a championship in 2010 and 2015 with Jaleel Okafor, who is still the most dominant college basketball player I have ever seen. And now the game is evolving again, and Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Michigan, even though they were really good this year. Um, So Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. Kansas lost Quentin Grimes. Kansas had Quentin Grimes transfer away from their school and lead Houston of all places, to the Final Four. So Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, they are behind the curve on the changing tide of college basketball. And the people who are ahead of the curve converted it into some of the most successful seasons at schools that had no business being as successful as they were. Baylor, Houston, Texas Tech, Arkansas, Alabama, These are schools that had no business being as good as they've been. San Diego State had a near-perfect season last year. Why? Because Malachi Flynn transferred from Washington State to San Diego State and was second-team All-NCAA before the pandemic ended their season. San Diego State is ahead of the curve on this game. Baylor, Texas Tech, Houston, Arkansas, these are schools that took advantage of market inefficiencies to the tune of the greatest seasons in school history and surpassing the Blue Bloods for a short period of time because this market inefficiency is so pronounced. It's a huge difference that the transfer portal is now a viable option for growing and accumulating talent from schools that normally wouldn't be in the market for Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes was a top 20 recruit. He was a five-star recruit, went to, well, four and a half stars, but five-star recruit, went to Kansas, was supposed to be one and done or two years and go to the NBA, and it didn't work out, and so he landed at Houston. Houston had no business being in the market for Quentin Grimes, and they got him, and with the help of the rest of the roster, also, as we talked about, three of the six leading scorers coming through the transfer portal went to a final four. That is the changing marketplace of college basketball. It is a market inefficiency that I couldn't see, but now that it's arrived and I've seen the results of it, I'm behind on the curve and now all in on it. And Coach K being behind the curve is perfectly okay to walk away. There's no shame in that if you lose the will or realize that this is a five, six year change of the way that things have always been. And Coach K is going to be 80 at that point. And probably have to go through a lot of seven seed, eight seed, nine seed losing seasons. They are years and years away from championship basketball. And it is understandable that Coach K was ready to walk away from that. And Roy Williams did walk away from that. And to be honest, I think both of those teams are really going to struggle. Because the worst thing for uh, Hubert Davis, I know, is the coach at North Carolina. But I forgot the new coach at Duke but he was on the 2010 team and had seven years on the bench behind Coach K. The thing about it is you never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. I point to the cases of, well, I just, I got to remember their names real quick, but I point to the cases of, eh, sorry, a little, little bit of a brain fart there. I'm trying to remember the names. Bill Guthride and Matt Doherty. 
Both of those guys coached three years after Dean Smith retired and before North Carolina hired Roy Williams. North Carolina went six years in the doldrums because they had to have the guy who replaced the guy. No one wants to be the guy who replaces the guy. And to be honest, guess what this means an option is for these schools with infinite resources and prestige. You can hire Chris Beard if you're North Carolina or Duke. You can hire Mick Cronin. You can hire Scott Drew. You can hire Brad Stevens. You can go get these prominent coaches who have evolved in the game and go hire them like they did with Roy Williams if you're North Carolina. They took Roy Williams from Kansas and brought him to North Carolina. And he won two national championships at North Carolina. And so the game totally changes. I mean, game everything. the infinite game evolves all the time. It's just whether you have the will resources to continue and other people might be better than you. So you just have to keep advancing and advancing and advancing and trying different things and hoping that some of that stuff works out and that other people drop out of the race, like Roy Williams and like Coach K. So even though Coach K retires and even though Roy Williams retires and Lon Kruger did retire, but they did go hire Porter Mosier, who is, you know, he went to the final four in Sweet 16 at Loyola, Chicago. I think he's probably one of the big rising coaches in college basketball. You can go hire some of these other guys later on instead of hoping that someone else can weather the storm and work the transfer portal and all of that different stuff. But the math changes on the game, and I understand Coach K's decision to walk away, and it applies to all of this. Is that The game is changing. College basketball as we knew it is dead, and this is the evolution of the sport, especially, and we didn't even get to talk about shamaturism and name, image, and likeness laws and the fact that southern states are trying to pool money to keep these kids broke. It's a whole other thing. I encourage you to read more about it, but basically the gist is Georgia passed name, image, and likeness laws that basically take all the funds earned by the kids, or 75% of the funds earned by kids, put them in a pool and distribute it to everyone instead of, you know, star player getting a $100,000 endorsement deal. They get to keep 25000 of that and the rest gets pooled and distributed to everyone else. And so the, the math changes on that game real quick. And it, the whole point of distributing little by little to everyone is to make sure that everyone stays broke. And that is the ultimate system of what shamaturism is. Make sure everyone stays broke and becomes dependent on the system because money equals power, power equals leverage, and leverage is what allows for people around the athletes and the athletes themselves to fight and take the right to have a one-time transfer rule across the last 15 years. And now that we have it, it has created a market inefficiency in the sport that some coaches are well ahead of the curve on, other people are trying to adapt to, and not everyone is going to get there. And if you're Roy Williams and Coach K and you're already this far behind the curve, it is understandable that they were ready to walk away. And if you're the replacements for them, good luck to you, but you never want to be the guy who replaces the guy. This would be a great way to finish off the segment is the return of Douchey Hockey Guy. Douchey Hockey Guy is going to slide in here at the very end of the Take It Easy podcast and update you on everything going on out here on the ice as we reach the finals 
of our four magical divisions. So to update you on the puck right now, we got games three on the way between the New York Islanders and Boston Bruins in the East Division presented by Mass Mutual. This is going to be a very, very interesting finish because Boston is the better team on paper. Boston has a stronger roster, stronger goaltender, stronger wings, forwards, and a center in Patrice Bergeron, who's still got a lot left after 16 years. And the win for the Islanders in Game 2, who, by the way, made the conference finals last year. Kind of one of the quietest conference finals runs we have seen. Ends up putting the Islanders here again. Second round, they upset the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. They are a really good team. Boston is better. There's no shame in that. This is the final eight, and this is the championship round of a stacked East Division presented by Mass Mutual. So game three, Bruins and Islanders. Get ready for that tonight. You know what else you can get ready for? The epic duel in the Central Division presented by Discover Card between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, the Carolina Hurricanes are the better seed, but Tampa Bay was doing that rest or cover thing because they had the deepest run in the bubble, i.e. they won the Stanley Cup final. The team they played in the Stanley Cup final, the Dallas Stars, didn't even make it to the playoffs this year out of 16 teams. So Tampa Bay was resting, recovering a lot of players. Nikita Kucherov basically went the entire season without playing, but came back one game before the playoffs and then has been the same MVP Nikita Kucherov that Tampa Bay can expect. We talked about the Battle of Florida. It was epic between Tampa and the Florida Panthers. Tampa came out in six games with a dominating performance in game six that I don't think I covered enough here on the Take It Easy podcast. But now they went into Carolina and they took not just game one, but also game two from the good old boys up there in Carolina. No, not the good old boys. Good old boys is racist. They're the bunch of jerks. I forgot about that. Carolina, those bunch of jerks. Uh, that Don Cherry called them one year and then got fired for the racial undertones around it and also just generally being a disgusting guy. But Don Cherry called them a bunch of jerks, and so that became the rallying cry for those boys and the bunch of jerks in Carolina. But now the bunch of jerks who are the number one seed in the Central Division presented by Discover Card face a 2-0 deficit against the Tampa Bay Lightning in what's feeling like an overmatched series and what is slowly becoming a must-win for the Hurricanes. We talked yesterday about the Montreal Canadiens in the North Division presented by Scotiabank. And the Montreal Canadiens were heavy, heavy favorites. We mentioned this on the radio show. Vegas had 84% of the, the public bets going towards Winnipeg. They were betting big money on Montreal to come out and win in game one. And lo and behold, the Montreal Canadiens scored two goals within the first 10 minutes against the Winnipeg Jets. Boy, I wish I had bet money on the Montreal Canadians, but you can go back to our radio show, which the link to that is in the description to today's episode. And you can find the receipts on the fact that I said that take the Montreal Canadiens in that game against Winnipeg. It's more towards the back end of the, the radio show. So you might want to, you know, skip through a little bit. The Montreal Canadiens win 5-3 against the Winnipeg Jets. They take game one in a series that is already disappointing, but now Montreal all of a sudden becomes one of the best things in sports. A Cinderella story. A team that has no business being in the position that they are, but comes back and makes an epic run to, in a sport like hockey, make a run like an eight seed going to potentially make it to the conference finals and win 
the North Division presented by Scotiabank after making a 3-1 comeback against the cursed Maple Leafs. They win game one against Winnipeg. Montreal is riding high behind Hall of Fame goaltender Carey Price, who's now kind of old, but still pretty good. And I got to be honest here, we're recording this at like 10:17 at night on Wednesday. Vegas and Colorado is still in overtime. It's 2-2 right now, Vegas and Colorado. So if the game finishes, by the time I get out of the shower, we'll add a, uh, a an extra little segment in there. This is Kyle from the future. Really about four minutes into the future from when I finished recording that segment because... In one minute and 40 seconds of hockey time, the Colorado Avalanche scored the game-winning overtime goal on Marc-Andre Fleury to advance to a 2-0 lead. They took both games at the Ball Arena, which I was joking about yesterday, or I was joking about on the radio show. The Ball Arena, which is the home of the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche. But uh, the Ball Arena sounds like something that the old-timey people just called the old stadiums. You know, they, it's 1920, and uh, the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks are going to play uh, at the old Ball Arena. And, uh, yeah... So uh, the Colorado Avalanche and this uh, new Fowdy expansion team called the Vegas Golden Knights played at the uh, Old Ball Arena, and the uh, Colorado Avalanche won three to two against the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that they beat seven to one in Game One. And now the Colorado Avalanche, after winning both games at the Old Ball Arena, are headed back to 114 degrees in Las Vegas for Game. Three. I don't know why he turned English all of a sudden, and we went from like 1920s to old English, but this has been Kyle from the future, which is about five minutes into the future from when we finished recording that last segment. Could I have just edited the segment and you would have never known? <laughs> yes, I could have, but I felt like this is more fun. So... To correct myself, I guess this is douchey hockey guy from the future, or whatever you want to call it. Anyways, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Douchey Hockey Guy, and this has been the Take It Easy podcast. Thank you for stopping in. We have episodes Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. You can also check out our radio show, our YouTube. You can check us out on all of uh, these different platforms as well as our merch store. If you tuned into the live stream and you got to see some of the cool merch that I purchased. So check that out as well. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary peoples alike, take it easy. Talk to you again tomorrow.
city cliffs, live live city cliffs, live city cliffs, live live city cliffs, live city cliffs, live live city cliffs, CP332 Blake Griff, live city cliffs, live live city. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.